beginning of our 2019 First Steps Parenting Seminar with Wayne and Tammy Roberts. And, and Wayne and Tammy aren't strangers to this congregation. Uh, before they did their um, His Shoes, Her Shoes marriage workshop uh, about a year ago. And we're glad to have them back for, for this event. And we're going to keep talking about the work that they're doing as the day goes on. If you didn't pick up one in the foyer there on the music stand, there's a schedule of the lessons for today. And kind of when they're, where they're going to be and when they're going to be and so on. So you can pick one. But this morning, we're going to begin with the first topic, which is the first step. And Wayne's going to talk about that this morning. And I'm not going to take much of his time because as we get to our, our main worship this morning, I'll probably deal more with what the seminar is going to be all about. But right now, we're glad that you're here. Uh, and let's prepare to learn and grow together. And I'm going to turn it over to Wayne. I was really looking forward to an elaborate announcement. I really wanted, oh, there we go. I was really looking forward to, I thought maybe you couldn't hear me when I said that. I was really looking forward to an elaborate announcement from Cliff for him to say about all the ways that I've impacted his life in a positive way and how I let him be uh, a graduate at Bear Valley in spite of his performance in my class and all kinds of things, but I just guess I'll have to wait for that to come later. I'm glad to be here. My wife Tammy and I are glad to be back here in beautiful sunny California. There were a few things I did not anticipate that I would be facing when I arrived here. It certainly was raining in LA when we arrived on Wednesday. That's not particularly unusual. It was cloudy on Thursday and that's not particularly unusual. Friday was windy as we had yesterday. We're in Victorville, California for a seminar, and then I saw the forecast between here and Victorville, one to eight inches of snow, and I said, we have taken the wrong turn somewhere, but we beat all of that. We got into Bakersfield, it was a little sunny, and hit a little bit of rain before we got here, so we're here safely. I don't know how we're going to get back later this afternoon to Los Angeles, since apparently it's snowing to beat the band over the pass, the grapevine. So, we may just stay for a month. I hope that you'll allow us to do that. Before we begin, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day and for the opportunity to assemble, an opportunity to learn about your ways, the things that you have in store for us, to be reminded of your promises and to remember your son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the opportunity to gather to encourage one another. We're also thankful for the opportunity as we come together to um, encourage each other having uh, finished another week in service to you. Father, we're thankful for our many blessings, for the night's rest, for the day and its opportunities, but above all things, we're thankful most of all for your son, Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that was offered as a result of your grace, mercy, and compassion for us, the forgiveness of sins that was received, the reconciliation, and the hope and the home that awaits for us beyond this life. Father, I pray this morning that our minds and our hearts will be open to your teaching, but beyond that, that we will take those things and make true application of them in our individual lives, that we might be pleasing in your sight, that we might accomplish your purposes, and that in all things we might bring glory to your name. Father, that is our prayer, humbly and most thankfully in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, how many of you ever took a road trip as a family? Okay, good. I, uh, how many of you have a family? 
Okay, good. Then we'll have something to say for all of you this morning. I remember when we took a family trip from Denver, Colorado to Disneyland. It was the early 1970s, and I remember certain things about that trip. Of course, there was the anticipation, the excitement when we left Colorado very early in the morning, anticipating that we would arrive in Las Vegas as a place to spend the night before making the rest of our trip in. I remember it because my mom set me out of the window of the car, barefooted, onto the asphalt so I could run up with my dad up to the hotel check-in. The concrete or the asphalt there must have been about 200 degrees. I learned to fly on that day because I just jumped right back in the car. And then I remember us leaving Las Vegas and we arrived and came in uh, through the Mojave Desert. Our car did not have air conditioning on that particular, well it did. It had 4WD90. Did any of you have that air conditioning? Four windows down. Yeah, see one guy back here says, I, I asked a young group of kids the other day, I said, do you know what this means? And they said, roll the window down. And I don't even know if they have a car or have seen a car that you roll the window down. But that's right, we'd roll the windows down until my dad realized that Something drag coefficient was killing us on gas mileage because the air was coming in. So we had to all roll it up and we just had two wing windows that were flapping. I remember it because we had a, we had a pretty fancy car. It had a sleeping berth in it. It had a, the back window. One slept up there. That was my younger brother. And then we had a floorboard with a hump and we filled that in with a pillow and my mom would ask me to about every 30 minutes to make sure that my sister was sleeping down there was still alive because of the fumes from the muffler right down below her. I was the oldest, so I got the bench seat in the back. We had that, but, but I'll tell you what I really remember most of all about that trip is that my sister was breathing my air, that she was touching me, that she was encroaching on my space on that drive, and my mother would remind us over and over again how much we loved each other. I guess we did, but I remember those trips. But you know what I really remember most of all? The destination, when we arrived at Disneyland. Now, for a Colorado boy who had never been there, that was everything you could imagine. The destination was for the very reason that we had taken that trip. It's the reason that we had left early in the morning. It's the reason, really, we had gone to Las Vegas. It's the reason we had crossed the Mojave Desert. It's the reason that we battled what little traffic it seemed like that they had in Los Angeles at that time. It's the reason that we put up with our brother and my sister. It's the reason my parents put up with the three of us. It's the reason that we did everything was for that destination. Change the destination and the trip looks different. Had we arrived there and it had been nothing but an empty parking lot, with no amusement park, no rides, no notable characters, we would have asked ourselves, was this really worth it? Maybe we should have taken a left turn somewhere and gone to Montana. I don't know. That would have been a right turn, I guess, not a left turn. Every destination determines the trip that it takes. This morning, as kind of an introduction, not just to the parenting seminar, but to a principle that I think is essential for us to all understand is a destination that we have for our life. When it comes to parents, they have all kinds of destinations for their children, right? They want them to be healthy, wealthy, wise. They want them to be good in school. They want them to get a good education. They want them to be physically 
uh, without any kinds of problems. They want them to find uh, a good spouse. They want perhaps them to have grandchildren to make all that other stuff worthwhile. Parents have all kinds of destinations. Now, you may say as a parent or a new parent, say, I don't know that I have destinations. You probably do. You'll say, I want my kids to have it better than I did, or I want my kids not to experience the pain I did, or I want my kid to be an athlete so that they can support me when I retire. Uh, that's just the kind of this, the, the destinations that we have. But we have destinations in our own life, right? For us, we have a destination maybe of where we want to live or what we want to do or what career we'd like to pursue. Even as we get on in life and it seems as if most of our destinations are already set, we know where we're going to live and we know who we're going to be married to and we know what kids we're going to have and for the most part, maybe how many grandkids. And, and life seems as if, you know, well, it's kind of already set. We've arrived at the destination. We still have some other destinations. And most notably, especially for Christians, we often pick the destination of heaven. We do that for ourselves. We do that for our, children's, no ma our children. No matter where we are in our life, we have that destination in mind. We want to be in heaven one day. This morning, I want to suggest to you that heaven is the wrong destination. Now, before you all pick up stones, hear me out. Each of us have been created with a purpose in mind. And whether you recognize it, acknowledge it, or accept it, the reason that you and I are here is because God created us to bring glory to him. It was the very reason. Yes, he wanted us to enjoy the planet that he had put us on and to benefit from that, that universe that surrounded it. And certainly, as we see him instituting marriage, that he desired for us to have that. And he created the laws of reproduction and gave us the charge to raise godly children. And of course, in the presence of sin, there was a need for a sacrifice. And we've been given the charge, the commission, if you will, to communicate that message. But ultimately... God made you, me, and every other person that we might bring him glory. And therefore, that becomes part of our great destination. Because it is not only the destination in this life, but it produces a reward in the next life. In other words, what is it that God wants us to be traveling for? This morning, that's where I want to start. What is or should be the destination for our lives in general? What should be the destination that we as parents have for our children? And I want to just simply give it a one-word destination, and that is righteousness. That is the right living before God. Now, sometimes we think about righteousness being right behavior, you know, that we're going to be obedient to God, and that certainly is part of it. But I want you to look with me a little bit, if you will. Open your Bibles this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 6. One of the beautiful things about God's description of the relationship between him and his children Israel is that, one, he gives us as parents, for example, he gives us instruction as to what to do as parents. But also there is a secondary benefit because we actually see God, if you will, as a parent in practice. We see not just what God wants us to do, we can see how God treated, how God behaved towards his own children, and it gives us not only that instruction, but it gives us a beautiful example. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
we see both of those kind of come together. In fact, probably Deuteronomy chapter 6 as a single uh, scripture, single passage, gives us more about parenting than probably any other passage of scripture, even some of those that maybe we associate almost immediately with parenting. Um, Moses' pen writes in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, Now this is the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might go down to do them in the land where you are going over to possess, so that you and your sons and your grandsons might fear the Lord your God to keep his command, excuse me, to keep his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Now it seems as if there are some destinations that are described there by Moses. Notice, there is the destination of fearing God. There's the destination of keeping his commandments. There's the destination of the land that they're going to be taken to, Canaan. There is the destination of a prolonged life. I mean, if you think about it, as parents, we typically divide our work into kind of four areas. They're the four areas that are described, speaking of Jesus as he was growing up. Jesus grew up in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. That's kind of what parenting typically is, right? He grew in wisdom, that's his intellectual, that's the emotional aspect. We want our children to be smart, we want them to be uh, wise, we want them to be well-adjusted. He also says he grows in stature, we want to take care of their physical well-being. That's why we feed them, and that's why we take them to the doctor when they're ill, and why we bundle them up when it's cold so they don't get sick. We're taking care of their physical it is also, it says, that we are to be in favor with man. That's that social aspect, right? We want our children to be those that interact with people, well with people, have good relationships. They're people of character as they demonstrate it, if you will, out in the world. And of course, in favor with God speaks about that spiritual relationship. So what happens sometimes is in parenting is that we either focus on the wrong destination or we get sidetracked with the things that are important, excuse me, the things that are urgent rather than the things that are important, right? The tasks that make up today occupy our time. And, and really what God wants to do here is he wants to direct not only Israel, but he wants to direct you and I into seeking the ultimate destination. Look at verse 25 of this same chapter. We're going to come back and look at a few of these verses, but notice the culmination. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all his commandments before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. That's the destination. That is what God wanted from his children, and that's what he wants for us as parents, for our children, to direct them into a right relationship with God whether or not heaven was ever offered. You see, heaven is not the destination. Heaven is one of the rewards that comes from that relationship. God wants obedience. But really, it is not the obedience that he wants unless it produces the right relationship. These very same children of his, Israel, will eventually get to the point that every uh, ordinance that is given, they're going to follow it. They're going to follow it with rote. They're going to follow it by habit. 
They're not going to have any real heart about it, no relationship. And by the time the Old Testament comes to a close, God is going to have his fill. He's going to say, I am wearied by your sacrifices. It was not sacrifices that I ever wanted. And I think the people probably scratched their head and went, did you read Leviticus? Because that's all that's about is sacrifices. He says, no, I didn't want your sacrifice. I wanted your relationship. Because when I created you in the beginning, in the form of Adam and Eve, and placed you on this big blue marble spinning out in space, we were in a perfect relationship. And though sin came along, and the, amongst the consequences were that Adam and Eve, and for that matter all other mankind, were separated from a tree of life, and they began to die. And certainly that there were other consequences. Man would have to work to provide for his family, and women would uh, take a submissive role, and childbirth would be difficult, pain, sorrow, suffering, all enter to the world. The real consequence of Adam and Eve's sin was the separation from God, the breaking of the relationship. And if you will, what it did is left in every man and woman a, a God-sized hole that only he can fill. And the, uh, if you will, the frivolity the vanity of man's life is typically spent trying to fill that hole with something other than God. We do so with prosperity. We do so with power, prestige, relationships. We do things with material things. We do whatever we can to fill that hole. And it seems as if it is a bottomless pit. The more we have, the more empty we feel. And the reason why is because there's only one thing that fits into that hole. And that's what God is calling his people in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's what he calls all of his children in every generation. That would include you and I, and I think it serves as an opportunity for parents as well to recognize the uh, destination that God wants us to lead our children to, and that is righteousness. When righteousness is the destination, it will determine the trip. When we determine to have a destination that God has determined in righteousness, it then is going to manifest itself in, well, then how do we act? How do we live? How do we behave? And sometimes what happens is we're taking that trip, if you will, from Denver to Disneyland, and we know the destination, but we get waylaid. We get waylaid, and the next thing you know, we find ourselves off the path. We wanted to find the world's largest ball of twine. We wanted to find a two-headed goat. We wanted to find something we got led off the road as the little brochure at the filling station led us, and the next thing you know, we have forgotten what our destination... Oh, we saw the two-headed goat. And we got the biggest, world's largest ball of twine. But the real destination has been lost somewhere along there. And so what I want to do is I want to focus your attention, whether you're a parent someday, if you're a parent some week, if you're a parent that your kids are, it seems as if the raising of them is behind, the destination is still the same for them and for you. And here's what God says, the road between here and the destination of righteousness looks like. First of all, he recognizes, and this, or we've looked at this already in verse 2, he says that the, your sons and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all of his commandments. There's kind of two aspects of that. I just want to focus on the first one, and that is the fact that God is looking for 
the fear of God. Now, the expression here literally means teeth-chattering, knee-knocking, petrified-to-the-bone fear. But in its context, it is not simply to mean be afraid of God. It means to stand in the awesomeness of the one who created all things from nothing with just his word and to recognize how insignificant you are in comparison to that. That though he has given great care and concern for you, you still are nothing more than one fleck in the cosmos. And that is terrifying. It's awesome. It's unbelievable. I'm just saying that if Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion and Little Toto can stand in front of the great and powerful Oz and be in awe of him, we most certainly should be the same way in the presence of the real Almighty God. And that's where this begins. It is a recognition of one who is so above us that we could never hope to obtain his love, his favor, or for that matter, even his attention. And yet, he has given us that. Now, I can tell you that as a boy, I feared my father. Now, it was not simply because he could uh, lay the lash into my backside that for a long time he was bigger than me, and even when he wasn't bigger than me, I probably wouldn't have tangled with him. He told me I was welcome to any time I thought that I could, and I thought better than ever to try that. But that wasn't it. It wasn't afraid that he would uh, kick me out of the house, no longer provide for me. It was what? It was this honor, this respect, this recognition of who he was, and that was a one-generation jump between him and me. We're talking about that chasm between us and God. And so the road to the destination of righteousness begins with the fear of God, a reverence for God. If you will, a recognition and a desire to be in a relationship that you and I have absolutely no hope of achieving without him. In other words, you can want it all day long. You can say, I wish, I hope, I pray, I'm working towards. But righteousness is never obtained, it's bestowed. That is to say that when we, in a fear of the Lord, and that we follow the guide, follow the road that he's led by, that he awards us, that he grants to us, not that we earn it, but that he bestows upon us righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that between where I am and where I want to be, there are all kinds of issues. I was telling somebody just a minute ago, tonight I'm supposed to be back in Anaheim. The grapevine stands between me and Anaheim. And it's been snowing there this morning. It's supposed to snow into the night. And so I'm going back by way of Oregon, I think. I'm going to take the long loop. But what if the destination of righteousness was like that, that we're saying, I know that I want it, and I see the road ahead of us, but I don't know that I can get there from here. And God says, it doesn't matter. Take the road, and I will grant you the destination that you desire. 
It begins with the fear of the Lord. And then note in verse 3, he begins to list some of the rewards along the way. Because by the way, there are some rewards along the way. I remember one of the great rewards after I was grown and we would come to California taking that same route that we would get to wonderful Barstow. Don't you think Barstow is wonderful? It's the first In-N-Out Burger location coming into California. I love Barstow. There was a reward along the way. Was In-N-Out Burger Barstow my destination? No, but it certainly was a benefit along the way. And today even, I can tell you about all kinds of great things to see, great things to do, great places to eat, and did I mention great places to eat between some of those destinations? But it was not to distract me from my ultimate destination. But listen in verse 3, some of the things that they are given. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do that it may be well with you, that you might multiply greatly just as the Lord your God, your fathers, has promised you in the, in the land flowing with milk and honey. I want you to think about, let me just talk to you as parents, those who have children now, whatever age they are, as far as, you know, they're still being raised by you in your house. What do you want for your kids? Listen to some of the things that Israel was to be, that your children, that it might be well with them. Do you want your children to be well? And that they might multiply greatly. Let me tell you, if you don't know this, you need to know this. The only good reason to have children is that they might produce you grandchildren. It's not worth it. No, that's not completely true. But as a father of five, I think of all those difficult days and I wondered, man, are we going to ever make it? Are, are my children safe? Am I going to kill them? What's going to happen here? And now I have ten grandchildren. I don't even, I just call them by name and then I refer to my children as their parents. I love my grandchildren, right? I, want my grand, I wanted my children to multiply. I, I, I didn't want my wife to multiply the way she did, but you know what? They, apparently, I had something to do with that. I don't know. But I love that. We want our children to be that way. And then listen. He said, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you where? In a land flowing with milk and honey. That was the promise of God for a home for them one that was prosperous, one that was pleasurable. Do you want your kids to have that kind of life? Well, God says, that's part of the reward. Now, for you and I, when we talk about righteousness, we don't anticipate being awarded a home. God's not going to be giving us a piece of property, at least in this life. He's not saying that you will have grandkids if you pursue righteousness. But what he is saying is that we have something that is granted to us by way of reward along the trip. For example, the forgiveness of sins. I'm convinced that we need, that we want, that we must have the forgiveness of sins. But I fear sometimes that that becomes our destination. That we make an appeal to God to forgive us our sins so we're off the hook. And then we return back to our regular life, right? Because all I needed was forgiveness of sins. There are individuals who make a commitment to Christ, they're baptized in water, and they never, well, because they just came to the God well to draw out what they needed. That was their destination. 
And for some, and perhaps we've propagated that as we proclaim the good news about Jesus, they think about all the other benefits that come. A place to belong. Here you have a home. You can get peace. You can have comfort. You can have answers. You can have reconciliation. We find out that Christianity has all of these benefits, and sometimes that becomes our destination. And so when we think we're not getting, for example, belonging, or we don't feel, quote-unquote, loved, we bail not on a congregation, we bail on faith. I'm speaking in a general term. There are those that bail on their faith. Why? Well, because they had the wrong destination. What if God offered you tomorrow no benefits to a relationship with him? I mean, think about that for just a moment. No relation, uh, no benefits whatsoever. There was no forgiveness of sins. There was no reconciliation. There was no home or hope of heaven one day. There was no place of belonging. There was no comfort, peace, answer in this life. What would be your interest in a relationship with God? And I would challenge even myself to say, I might not be too interested in that. Maybe that means that we don't have the right destination in mind, that the destination is our own self and our own self-interest, not in a relationship with the one whom we are in awe of, who deserves our obedience, who deserves our praise and worship. Why? Because he's God, right? That he's bigger than that, that we have no right to stand before him as a created being. We have no right to stand before him as a created sinful being, as one who made our own choices. We have no way to stand before him as a way to undo our sin, but we still do. Why? Because he deserves that. I think that's part of what needs to realign us, is to recognize there are some benefits, but those aren't the destinations. Okay, very quickly as our time, uh, time is moving uh, quickly to expire, look down at verse 6. He says, and these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be a frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of the house of your gates. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, train up a child and the way he should go seems to echo in my mind here because how do I reach the destination of righteousness even if it is bestowed if I do not know how to go? Well, the way he is, God says, I'm not going to just say, get there and good luck, right? Now, my wife often complains that I say I don't need a map, that I don't need directions. And the reason why is, number one, I know where I'm going, and number two, I'm not lost. I'm just taking a different way this time. But we recognize the need for a map, right? We need to know whether to turn right or left. We need to know where to stop along the way for fuel. We want to know where it is that we might could spend the night. We need to know the conditions of the road. We need those kinds of maps. And God says that the commandments that he has given us are not a list of do's and don'ts, even though when a sign up ahead says, if you're going to Disneyland, take a right, turn here. And I could, should, I could certainly look at that and go, don't tell me what to do. 
Or why is it that God's so constraining that he won't let me go left? I want to go left. You can. But you'll get left behind because you're not going to reach the destination. Now, I will tell you this. When Tammy and I lived in Central California, we would pull onto the highway near our house, and the sign said, straight ahead, Los Angeles, and the sign would say, take a right turn here to San Francisco. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to you who live in California, but for a kid that raised in, Cal in Colorado and had uh, grown up, uh, raised his children, and lived most of his married life there, I would tell my wife, I said, isn't that just not surreal? I mean, Los Angeles, San Francisco, big cities are just right here on that sign. Now we live in Oklahoma, and you get on the highway. You know what it says? This way to Tulsa and that way to Wichita. And I asked my wife, well, is this not surreal or what? <laughs> right? But the point is those signs are not giving us something that is to hold us back. In fact, it is to permit us to reach the destination. So God says, listen, you need to tell your kids all the time which way to go. Give them the destination, but give them the directions to get there. Don't just say, hey, let's all be better Christians as we stand and sing. Okay, how? Well, here's how. So he begins to say, I want you to teach them diligently. I want you to teach them when you wake up. I want you to teach them when you go to sleep. I want you to teach them how to get to where it is. That's what parenting is. Parenting is simply an opportunity to help them get to where they need to be. Here's one of the challenges. Don't be giving me faces over here, little miss. I'm not far from having a baby, okay? That's a distraction. Act very relaxed. I'll be out of town in a few hours, and you can do whatever you need to do. When my kids were growing up, they took all sorts of noticeable first steps, right? I mean, the first time they rolled over, the first time they said their first word, the first time they ate solid food. But I remember one of the most momentous things was when they took that literal very first step, right? But that didn't just come easily. It took some practice. We would try to stand them up, and they'd wobble a little bit and fall down, and we were there to catch them, right? And then sometimes they'd wobble and they'd fall, and we wouldn't catch them, and they'd bong their head. We felt really bad, and we felt so bad we tried to stand them up again and let them try it again, right? And then we would, uh, we would coax them, right? I would hold one of them up, and Tammy would reach the arms out. I knew they'd want to reach for Mama, and they'd lean, but it was like their feet were magnetized. So we devised a plan. Here's what we did. We took our children, and we stood them up alongside of the wall. And when their legs were strong enough, they would stand there, and it was like they were standing by themselves, except they weren't. There was a wall. And then we would try to coax them away. Well... Sometimes we'd do it with maybe a snack, and they were kind of inclined. And Then maybe we'd stretch out our arms. They were kind of inclined. But we had one of these. Did you ever see one of these before? Did you ever one of these? They've modified this for my kids. Now it's, this is like the high-end deluxe. It's got like a rattle at the top. It didn't used to be that way. It just had these donuts that the kids filled with spit because there's a little hole right here. But what we would do is we would take their very favorite toy, and we'd hold it out just beyond their reach. And they'd reach over, and they'd grab on, and then we, kind of like the training wheels of walking, we held on to that, and they would walk away from the wall. 
and we'd hold on to it, right? We could get them to walk all over, and then we did, we played a nasty trick on them. You know what we did one day? Yeah, we let go. That's why my kids, until they were like eight, walked like this. They thought I was still there, right? Well, that's what parenting is. Parenting is to help them walk. In fact, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, I'm praying for you that you'll increase in knowledge with all wisdom and understanding that you might walk worthy. That's just a New Testament expression for righteousness. And so as parenting, what we do is we hold on to our children as we lead them towards the direction of righteousness. Today in the uh, service, the worship service, this afternoon in our classes, we're going to talk a little bit more about the details of that. But I can tell you that I have found this with my five kids. From the moment that the umbilical cord was cut, they all were trying to get away. They were all trying to leave. That's what they're supposed to do, by the way. And from the moment that that happened, Mommy was continuing trying to what? Reconnect the umbilical cord. I don't want you to go. And that's what happens is it's really hard to let go of our children. Because one, we do love them. But more importantly, we know that it's dangerous, right? They might fall down when that happens. They might not get where we want them to be, namely righteousness. So maybe if we just hold on. And so sometimes, even some people have taken a mindset of, you know what, I just never let them go. We're just going to kind of keep them here at home and we'll confine them until Jesus comes and then he can take us all together to heaven. But we're called to let go of our children and let them be what God intends for them to be. But here's how you can let go. You can let go by not letting go of them, but handing them over to God through Jesus Christ. That's what it means. In other words, parenting is giving them something to hold on to till they hold on to someone, namely Jesus, else. Right? Because when that happens, I don't need to be there for every, de for every turn in the road. I don't need to be there for every flat tire of life. I don't have to be there. What I've been doing is I have been raising them not to hold on to me, but to hold on to he. And that's what parenting really is. Now, for those of you who said, um, well, this is how we do it at our house. Wah, wah, wah. You know what that means? That ship has sailed, the parenting ship, right? If you say, well, my children are grown up and I recognize some of those lessons now, but I, there's not much I can do about it, that's probably true. But you still are on a road. You're on a road with a destination in mind. For some of you, you recognize that the end of that road is closer than it ever has been, and I mean by a lot. That you realize that there is more road behind than there is ahead. Don't let the destination change. Don't let the destination just be, well, I'm just trying to live out a peaceable life. Or, well, I just want to be a good example in my remaining years. You know, I just want to not cause any problems. Don't set those destinations. Realign yourself to the exact same destination. Listen again. And it will be righteousness for us 
if we are careful to observe his commandments before the Lord, just as he commanded. The righteousness of God must be our destination. The good news is that with that destination comes all sorts of other blessings. But don't get caught up in the blessings that you lose your way. I hope that this has kind of laid a groundwork for some of the things we're going to say during, or I'm going to say during the worship hour, but it really is intended to point us to the nuts and bolts of what we'll be talking about in uh, our sessions uh, after lunch today. So I'd encourage you, and even if you're not a parent, you're welcome to stay around and be a part of that. We'd love to have you in that. I like kind of when I'm talking about parenting, and in the room are a bunch of people who have already raised their kids. I can look over after I say something, and if they're doing this, I can change it. See, if I don't know, otherwise, I got Nick over here going, uh-huh, uh-huh, and I'm like, you don't know if I'm right or wrong, but you're listening. So you're welcome to be a part of that. Let's close with a word of prayer, and then we'll dismiss as we prepare ourselves for our worship uh, this morning. Father, again, we pause to thank you for uh, this opportunity. Father, may our hearts and our minds and our lives always be directed at the goal, the destination of righteousness. Right living before you because you are deserved of that, because you are worthy. And though we're thankful for the blessings that that relationship produces, Father, let us not be caught up in what's in it for us, but what's in it for you. May we in everything glorify you. May we accomplish your purposes. May we fulfill your commandments, simply put, that you might be glorified in all things. We're thankful for the hope that is ours because of Jesus. We're thankful for the grace that allows us to travel this road. We're thankful for your constant guidance and direction. And Father, we're thankful for the righteousness that is bestowed, not because we've earned it, not because we've deserved it, but because you are a loving and caring God. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.